And I wonder how many Christians have logged years, even decades in the faith, never to break out of the cocoon of immaturity because they've not made that ongoing presentation and that continual transformation through the renewing of the mind. Hello and welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy. Dr. Brogy is senior pastor at Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. We have progressed into chapter 12 of our study in the book of Romans. This chapter begins the practical section of this great epistle. And that's the section that tells us how to live in light of everything the Apostle Paul has written in the previous 11 chapters. The opening verses of chapter 12 call for believers to present their bodies as living and holy sacrifices to God. Pastor Brogy has noted that this means that believers are to die to self and seek to live for the pleasure of God. Let's pick up in our message entitled, Finding the Will of God. God calls you to worship Him in purity of heart. Romans 3 describes the depravity of the human body. Our tongues that have poison in them, our, our, our tongues that deceive, our lips that have poison, our mouths that have cursing, our feet that shed blood. Now God, in a regenerated person, wants you to take those same instruments and use them in worship for Him. Francis Havergale in 1874 wrote a classic hymn that we still sing to this day. She grew up in a pastor's home. In her 20s, she learned Hebrew and Greek on her own. She was self-taught so she could have her devotionals in the original language. But as she moved into her mid-30s, she sensed that there was a missing dimension in her life. And one day she was reading Romans 12.1, present your bodies as a holy and living sacrifice. And as she meditated on that verse, she wanted to present every corner, every nook, every cranny of her life to the Lord. And she said, and I quote, I realize there must be full surrender before there can be satisfaction. And based on Romans 12.1, she wrote a hymn that we're still singing nearly 150 years later. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of Your love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for Thee. Take my voice and let me sing always only for my King. Take myself and I will be ever only all for Thee. Ever only all for Thee. Take my lips and let me be filled with messages from Thee. Take my intellect and use every power as thou shalt choose. Take my will and make it thine. It shall no longer be mine. Take my heart, it is thy own. It shall be thy royal throne. By the way, this is not something you just do on Sunday. There's no mention of a day of the week in Romans 12.1. Nor does he speak of some level of maturity before you can do this. If you've been saved, if you've been shown the multiple mercies of God and delivered from the wrath of God, then God has called you to present yourself to Him. It's not a burden. When you understand the mercies of God, it becomes the delight of your heart. His commandments, John says, are not burdensome. We love Him because He first loved us. So first, our presentation is voluntary. Second, our presentation is sacrificial. 
Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. Please note this word sacrifice is modified by the word living. Now, some expositors make a big deal out of the aorist infinitive that is used here to translate the word present, and they will often emphasize after you're saved, there's this dramatic once and for all presentation of yourself to God. Well, that may be true for some Christians, but contextually that doesn't flesh out. No, I I think this is a constant reminder that there is to be a continual presentation. And very often there are multiple rededications and recommitments we make as God unfolds his will for our life and we discover more and more of his plan. He speaks here of a living sacrifice, which emphasizes really the daily dimension. Now, very often when people think of the word sacrifice, they do not think of it in a biblical fashion. They think of simply giving up something. That's only a partial description of the word. It's not simply giving up something, it is also doing something. And because of the sacrifices in the Old Testament were dead, people often associate death. But because of the once and for all sacrifice, Paul emphasizes the word living. This is a living sacrifice where we present ourselves to God. You know, Christians will often say, well, I'm willing to die for the Lord Jesus. Well, that's good. That's wonderful. But very few people, a small, small, small percentage in the history of the church have ever actually had to literally die for the Lord Jesus. It's quite another thing to live for Christ. And as one of my seminary professors used to remind us, and he's famous for the quote because it's original with him. Howard Hendricks used to say, the trouble with being a living sacrifice is that we're constantly wanting to crawl off of the altar. When you face a difficult day, you need to present yourselves to God as a living sacrifice. Some of you were saved out of backgrounds where you used alcohol, and now it's fashionable in evangelicals to, to have their wine and to drink their beer. And some of you need to present yourselves to God, and we'll come to this when we come to the 14th chapter, and it is such a tight argument, you will see how foolish it is for the Christian today to drink. And yet we just dropped Moody Radio officially last week because they sanction now drinking, smoking, and gambling for their faculty. But that's what we're about today. We're cool evangelicals. We know what we're about. And if you have any standards, you're legalistic and and rigid. When you're tempted to look at that sensual picture, you present yourself as a living sacrifice to God. Mom, when you've cleaned your home a thousand times, and you're tempted to leave the house in disorder and let it get junked up, knowing that God is a God of order. You you present yourself as a living sacrifice, and you, you, you clean it up as a worker at home. Men, when you come home and you're exhausted, and your wife needs your help, you die to self, and you present yourself as a living sacrifice when your kids need that time and that focus and that Bible story. 
you don't feel like reading it. Or it's easier to read Bambi than it is the Bible story. You know why that is? Because so many of us don't know the Bible and also because of spiritual battle. When we as dads are called to teach and train our children in the truth of Holy Scripture, you die to self, you make yourself a living sacrifice to the Lord. You find a need in the body of Christ and God has given you the means to fulfill it and you die to self and you meet that need. That's what he's talking about, living for Christ. Notice the second word that modifies this sacrifice, not only the word living, but the word holy. Present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. And just as the word uh, was used of the unblemished sacrifices of the Old Testament, you couldn't bring your junk to God. He didn't want your crippled animals. He wanted an animal that was without defect because, of course, that animal would picture ultimately the sinlessness of Christ. And now God is asking us to present ourselves in holiness and purity of life. In the Old Testament, God had a a place where he would come in all of his glory. It was called the Holy of Holies. And the wonder of the new covenant is that you now are the Holy of Holies. You are the temple of the living God. Do you not know that you're a temple of God? Paul will ask that the Spirit of God dwells in you. Peter says we are a holy priesthood. The word holy, hagios, is the same word that's used in the New Testament and translated in other contexts as saints. We're saints. And it's not used in the Bible to refer to someone who's already died, some council that commissions and says, he or she is now a saint. No, it's used of every born-again, blood-bought child of God in the New Testament. So when Paul writes to Colossians, he writes to the saints and faithful brethren who are at Coloss. And Philippians, to the saints in Christ Jesus in Philippi, and to the inconsistent weak Corinthians, he says, to those who are saints by calling, you're already declared a holy one, one who is set apart, not based on your merit, but based on Christ's work. And so now he's calling us to act like a saint, to present ourselves as a holy sacrifice, whether it's on the basketball court and the way you react to the guy who elbows you in the face, whether it's out there on the uh, playing field where you miss your putt and you don't throw your club up in the air, whether it's in the boardroom, whether it's on the military, whether it's in your home, whatever it is, present yourselves as a living and holy sacrifice. Notice the third word, which he says is acceptable to God. Acceptable. Literally, the word means well-pleasing. In fact, the Holman Christian renders it that way. Literally, it's two words. It means well-pleasing to God. God accepts a living and holy sacrifice as well-pleasing as acceptable. He's not talking about your position. He's talking about your practice. And most of you know there's a distinction in the Bible between positional truth and practical truth. Positionally, you have been declared a holy one. You cannot be any holier than you are in your position before God if you have received Jesus as your Lord. You have been given and credited to your person the righteousness of God in Christ. Here he's talking about your experience. 
And if you're following and tracking with me this morning, a living sacrifice has to do with the totality of a person's life. You're willing to to pay it all to flesh it out. So ask yourself, not am I pleased with my life, but is God pleased with my life? Is God count my life as a well-pleasing sacrifice? My first year on staff with Campus Crusade, God began to burden my heart, and he said, Carl, it's not good for you to be alone. And so I began to begin to pray fervently for a mate. And this was ever before I had gone on my first date with Audrey. And I finished my first year and I thought, you know, if God provides a bride for me, I don't even have money to buy a ring. So I sold my 1955 Buick Special. It was an antique car I'd fully restored. And my wife was wearing that on her finger this morning. Unfortunately, uh, gold had jumped up to six, $800 an ounce in that year, and you didn't get much bang for your buck, and I was a little begrudged by the fact that the diamond was so small, but it was everything I had. I didn't go and buy her some bubblegum ring. And when she came down the aisle, she didn't come down and just, oh, let me see what I can find in the closet kind of dress. She found the best dress that she could afford. It pleased her and it pleased me. Paul is saying, listen, brethren, because of the kindness of God, because he has made you the bride of Christ, present yourselves to him as living and holy sacrifices. She cared about her hair when she came down that aisle. She didn't walk through some mud puddle before she came down. Yet some of us walk through the mud puddles of sin Christ is not asking who will die for me. He's asking who will live for me. So first, your presentation is voluntary. Second, it is living. Third, it is reasonable. It is reasonable. Look again at verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. It's your spiritual service of worship to present yourself to God as a living and holy sacrifice. Now, again, this Greek word translated spiritual is a challenging word for the translator to bring from the original language into our receptor language. And again, there's not a single English word that catches the full nuance. The King James in the Net Bible translates it reasonable. And so they speak of your reasonable service. The Greek word is lakikos. We get our word logical. He's speaking about your logical service, your intelligent service. If you have the New American Standard, you'll note out there in the margin, it will give you a more literal rendering, your rational service. In crass terms, Paul is saying, brethren, use your heads. The most rational thing you can do in light of what God has done for you and in light of what God is going to do for you and in light of the glory and splendor that someday you will know fully, in light of that, present yourself to God in this manner. And not to is not to use our heads. And it's really to think in one sense that we're smarter than God. And so when you think of the fact that you are on your way to hell, and of course, more and more churches don't speak of hell, what do you need to even be saved from, a man asked me? The wrath of Almighty God. 
a holy anger that burns towards sin. And that's why as we studied in Romans 3, when men and women meet God in heaven, all lost people, their mouths will be shut. They will not have a word to say when they see God in all of His holiness and greatness. No, we are to present ourselves as living and holy sacrifices, and this is the smartest, most reasonable, most logical, most intelligent thing that you can do. So the first key word in finding the will of God is the word presentation. The second word is transformation. Roman numeral two there on your outline, finding God's will demands a transformation. And there are three dimensions to this transformation that are highlighted in verse two. Three very important words that give us a negative command and a positive command, a positive plan of action. First, I learned that we are not to be molded. We are not to be molded. Let me read verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world. You want to circle that word conform. That's the first key word. And interestingly, this word conformed is what we would call a, a, a verb in the passive voice. Some of you remember that from English grammar. And a passive voice, when used in Greek, is to emphasize that the subject is being acted upon by an outside force. And do not be conformed to this world. He's talking here about being conformed, being shaped by this age. The J.B. Phillips translation says, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. And interestingly, it's a present imperative so you could render it, stop letting the world conform you. Implication, some of the people in the church at Rome were letting the world conform you. And if you do nothing, as we'll see in a second, the world will conform you. And he says, don't let that happen. Don't be molded by the world. Don't let the world act upon you in such a way that it begins to shape your character. Now, again, I think it's plain from the context that by the world... He does not mean the planet, earth. He does not refer to the globe or a country or an empire. But literally, it's the word ion. And if you look on the margin of some of your Bibles that have study notes, it will say age. Do not be conformed to this age, the spirit of the age, the contemporary thinking that is around you. He is telling us that the believer's worldview is not to be shaped by the unbeliever's worldview. See, there are only two models that you can shape your life after. Either the model of this age, this world, that the Bible says is under the control of the evil one, the God of this age, Satan is energizing this world system, Paul says in Ephesians, or we can be transformed by God's word. And if you study the scripture carefully, we'll discover that there are four major areas in which the world will try to shape you into its likeness. Fortune, fame, power, and pleasure. Fortune, fame, power, and pleasure. Fortune says get rich, get as much as you can, as fast as you can, and then can it all up. Fame says make a name for yourself. Become well-known, become well-liked. And if you can become a person of notoriety, then you can intimidate people. Power says take control over people. Use your influence to manipulate them, to intimidate them. And pleasure says if it feels good, do it. 
That's the world system. And God warned us against it. So ask yourself, what does this generation think like? And am I being shaped by the generational thinking of our day? We happen to live in a generation that tolerates everything, believes nothing, cares about very little of anything of importance. And many Christians are being sucked into that way of life. Do not be conformed by the spirit of this age. And very often the path of least resistance is the spirit of this age. It's so easy to fall into the spirit of this age. And God says, don't don't let that happen to you. Demas forgot this. He was caught up by, Paul says, the spirit of the age. He wasn't lost. You'll meet him in heaven. But he did not, to the end, fight the good fight. In Galatians 1.4, he speaks of the Lord Jesus who gave himself for our sins that he might rescue us from this present age. Ion, some translation said, from this present evil world or age. Same word. When Paul wrote to the church at Colossae, he said, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception. I hope you don't love philosophy because God says the philosophies of this world are foolishness to him. And typically people, Christians that I see who get sucked into the philosophical spirit of the ages past or the current age always end up on the wrong path. Let no one take you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the age or world. Same word, rather than according to Christ. So don't underestimate the power of the age, especially through peer pressure. I was speaking to a young man this week, and I said, you're going to a school where there's a broad-based homosexual community there in Boston. Guard yourself. Stand strong. Love those people, but do not give an inch because this has absolutely nothing to do with a minority status. It has everything to do with morality. This means you need to be prepared to say no. You need to say no to secular thinking and yes to spiritual thinking. So be on your guard. Do not be conformed. That's the first word you should have circled, conformed. We're not to be molded. The second word is transformed. We are, point B, to be remolded. We are to be remolded. Let me read a little bit further into verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. There's an alternative to being conformed, and it's that of being transformed. But by the way, it can never happen if you haven't presented yourself to God. You say, well, I did that way back yonder, but you've compromised along the way. And some of you need to present yourself to God all over again. And he really can't transform your thinking if you haven't made that presentation. If you're not clean and in the center of God's will, God typically will show you nothing new if you're not obeying what he's already shown you. Again, the Phillips translation paraphrases it. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold, but let God remold your minds from within. The word here for transformation is metamorpho. It's the Greek word that we get our word metamorphosis from. And a metamorphosis speaks of a change not from without, but from within. 
And the Greek word implies, because it's a present imperative, really an exclamation point after each of these commands, don't do this, but do this. Don't think this way, think this way. Don't be conformed, but be transformed. So what is a metamorphosis? Well, you've witnessed it in the insect world. You see a chrysalis turn into a beautiful butterfly. What is the nature of a caterpillar? The nature of a caterpillar is that of a butterfly. The same word, by the way, is used there on the Mount of Transfiguration. When the Lord Jesus is up there with Peter and James and John and Moses and Elijah, and the scripture says he was transformed and his face shone like the sun and his garments became white as light. From the inside out, they got a glimpse of his inner Shekinah glory. Moses had a metamorphosis of sorts when he went up on the mountain for 40 days in the presence of God and he came down and from the inside out, his face was shining. Stephen, that great preaching deacon, in the book of Acts, his face shone, the Bible says, like the face of an angel. And there's coming a day when our metamorphosis will be totally complete. Beloved, now we are children, and it has not appeared as of yet what we shall be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. When we see the Lord Jesus in all of his glory and we'll be able to stand it in our resurrected bodies, we will be totally metamorphosized. My children had a powerful object lesson given to them by my wife when they were little kids. She went out there into the fields where we were living in Texas and she found those milkweed that had little black eggs on them and she brought them into the house and we put them in an aquarium of sorts, an open aquarium, and before long they formed into caterpillars and she found more milkweed and she fed those caterpillars and then one day they, they turned into that chrysalis and my kids waited and, and God's providence and sovereignty and in answer to her prayer, we were there. When that chrysalis broke open, and we still have a photo of that monarch butterfly there in my son's nose like he was its mother. It was a magnificent transformation that had taken place. And I wonder how many Christians have logged years, even decades in the faith never to break out of the cocoon of immaturity because they've not made that ongoing presentation and that continual transformation through the renewing of the mind. So the first word you circled is conformed. It comprises the negative command, do not be molded. The second word is transformed because we are to be remolded. The third word gives us the plan of action. We are to be renewed. We are to be renewed. Would you please notice he's telling us, in essence, how to break out of the cocoon, how to be transformed. So he gives us not only a negative command, he gives us a positive command, a path of action. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, although the Apostle Paul does not tell us in this verse how our minds are renewed, he does so throughout all of his epistles. And it is by the Holy Spirit using the Word of God, namely the Bible. To listen again to today's study entitled, Finding the Will of God, use the Search the Scriptures app, available for smartphones and tablets, or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD by calling Search the Scriptures at 877-787-7478, 
and requesting program ROM57. Perhaps you have a question you'd like to ask Pastor Brogy personally. You can do that Tuesday mornings between 11 and noon Eastern during his live call-in program, The Bible Line. Listen to The Bible Line online at wagp.net. Tomorrow we conclude our look at finding the will of God. Join us then as we search the scriptures.